My name is Michael Esposito. It was January 1st, 1997, when Terrell and I arrived here in Old Cancun. Lord gave us some property in this place called Kunamaya. And we literally had to get machetes and a bunch of men and women and chop through the jungle with machetes and make a pathway onto the property. We, we felt just a, a love for these people. And we decided that we would come back as many times as we could and, and bring short-term missions trips. It was about a few years in and, and I said to Terrell, I said, I, I just can't keep coming and going. I, I really feel like God has something permanent for us. We reached out to Mike Esposito and Terrell. They were great friends of ours. And we really said, as we prayed through, we said, we need somebody that we can be accountable to. And as we talked to them, they felt that the Lord was leading them to oversee us and to really work with us through regional Reclaim Ministries. And when we started, we didn't know what God had for us. Uh, praying into it, we really felt God said, transform this community. And, and that's a big task. And we really prayed, Lord, how do we transform an entire community? And the Lord laid out a plan for us. And it started by working with the children. And God told us to start a school for these kids, which is something completely out of our comfort zone. It wasn't something we knew how to do. It wasn't something we were planning to do. So we got connected uh, here at the community. We started running a VBS program. That turned into a weekend program. And as the years went on, it grew into what we now have a full-time school called Kingdom Academy. But in that entire process, it's been amazing to see how God 
He's worked with us. He's taught us how to do things. He showed us what was the next step. Because each year in the program, he would add another element and another element. It started out with doing food, food distribution. It turned into building homes for the families. It started into discipleship for the mothers. And it just continued to grow and it continued to develop into a greater ministry. We are gonna face times and trials of tribulation, hard times, and uh, it's important for us to teach these people, these young folks and their parents that, that Christ ultimately is, is the rock that we stand on. No! Dios, eh, en, desde muy chica, Dios empezó a sembrar cosas en mi corazón hacia este lugar. Eh, eh, Cancún significa, eh, tiene un significado en una palabra maya que significa nido de víboras. Mas, sin embargo, Dios nos ha dado una palabra acerca de que este lugar es un nido de águilas. Eh, he escuchado a las personas para poder orar por ellas y saber cómo orar por ellas. Y también he visto cómo Dios es un Dios que quiere eh, no solamente traer una sanidad interior, pero también suplir las necesidades físicas de las personas. Y, y estoy muy contenta por ello, porque hemos visto el fruto. No ha sido fácil, pero hemos visto la mano de Dios en todo este proceso, en todo este camino. Aún nos falta mucho que hacer, pero aquí estamos, de pie, trabajando duro para el reino de Dios. Praise God. So <clears throat> the ministry started, Steve, you remember. You picked up a lot of those beams, didn't you? Yeah, some other men might be here. 350-pound beams, we're lifting up, us old guys. But uh, it started with that one cornerstone, the one stone. Jamie, I just saw you, you too, and uh, the kids uh, helping to build. And so it started with that one cornerstone. And uh, that's what we have today. That's what the Lord has done. We have five directors, which you just met. We have 24 full-time staff. Uh, not only do we do all those things, but we also have YWAM Cancun. So we're running discipleship training schools to train young leaders and missionaries for the kingdom. We also have a Bible school. Um, we also bring short-term teams in. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot going on down there. And I want to thank you because if you've been supporting us for all these years or for any time, this is what the Lord has done uh, you know, in our ministry, in our lives, and through our lives because of your prayers and your support. Thank you so much. Churches are coming. We're going to take a special offering today. And uh, everything that comes in this offering is going to the ministry that Michael's talked about. And so give generously. How many have blessed, been blessed of the Lord? Just a few of you. Okay. All right. Well, if you've been blessed of the Lord, he gives to you that you might give to the work of the ministry. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy 
of belonging to you. Thank you for the joy of seeing lives changed and renewed and brought into your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would just bless everyone that's giving today. Bless this ministry. Lord, thank you for Mike. Thank you for Terrell. Thank you, Lord, for the vision for you and for your kingdom. We give now in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you give. Praise God. So um, this morning's message is uh, called, Why God? Why God? And um, I'm going to use John the Baptist's life as my context to, to set up this message. And um, let's think about, you know, John's uh, life for a while, okay? Uh, you'll find the story of John the Baptist in Matthew, Luke, uh, Mark, and Luke. And uh, so let's talk about that. So John the Baptist, as we know, um, Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, which that would make Jesus and John cousins. And uh, we know that when Mary uh, came into the room to see Elizabeth with, uh, pregnant with Jesus, we know that John leapt by the, the, the Holy Spirit when the presence of Jesus was in his presence. Now, we've got we to gotta think about this a little bit, so let's give some thought to this. Because they were cousins, and uh, it's very possible that they spent time together as children at the festivals, the Jewish festivals, and when the families got together. So uh, John had a relationship with Jesus. Now... We fast forward to uh, when John is baptizing people to make way the straight the way of the Lord. Uh, we see that he looks up and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And his whole being, his whole existence was to announce the Savior uh, of the world to the world. And then when he baptizes Jesus, what happens? You see the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove begin to fall upon him and rest and stay and live upon him. And then John hears this voice that says, um, this is, you know, my beloved son whom I love and who I'm well pleased with. So let's, can we agree then that if anybody had a revelation that Jesus was Christ, the Christ and the Messiah, it was John the Baptist. Can we agree on that? Absolutely. So... Go fast forward a bit in John's life, and uh, John decides it's a good idea to tell treacherous King Herod, you know what? You're living in adultery. You took your brother Philip's wife. She divorced him. You married her. Now you're living in adultery. And what that caused John was time in prison. So now John's in, in, in prison, and so let's think about... Um, him being in an extraordinarily difficult circumstance. And if you read the story, you see that John begins to, to think, you know, Jesus, why am I, why am I here? Jesus, why? Uh, yeah, he, he began to wane in his faith and his belief, right? Uh, as we can see in the scripture. And um, so what happens is, let's read this in, John, in, in Luke 7, 18. John's disciples just come back from seeing Jesus perform many miracles, the miracles of Messiah, of the kingdom of God. And uh, John's disciples told John, uh, John all about these things and calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come or is there another? You ever feel like that in your life? Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Why am I living like this? Or is somebody else coming better than you? And when the men came to Jesus, they said to John the, ba John the Baptist, sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind 
So he replies to these messengers after he does all of these magnificent works of the kingdom of God and says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy, they're cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. And tell them this, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. In another portion of scripture it says, tell him, blessed is the man who's not offended in me. And um, we can see that John, you know, was probably thinking, you know, Jesus, you're Messiah. Not only that, you know, you're my cousin. You know, so why are you leaving me in this place? Why, why won't you get me out of here? And so my question is to you, did you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like, why God, why am I in this position? Lord, you know, why, why are my children rebellious? I taught them about the Lord. Why are they rebelling? Lord, why am I in fa- financial trouble? I'm, I'm generous. I give. Lord, you know, why did you take my loved one from me so young? Lord, why am I suffering in pain? Lord, you know, why do I have cancer? Why? Well, the message I give you this morning is not something that I read in a book. The message I'm about to deliver you is a message that I've also lived in my own life. So I'll share some of those things with you. In my own life as a Christian, because of circumstances beyond that I could control, I had to go bankrupt. And when I went bankrupt, I I had my two little girls, my wife, and we had to live on food stamps and government milk and cheese and eggs. But why, Lord? I, when I left the business, it was making thousands and thousands of dollars. Why, why did this happen? I had nothing to do with this. Uh, Terrell's, um, Terrell's parents, they died of cancer 11 months apart. They were 63 and 65. Earlier this year, her younger brother died of cancer. Two months ago, we get a call that her older brother, he has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage four. We have to fly to... North Carolina. Why, God? I want to tell you something right now. I don't believe at all that my wife has to have cancer because it's in her genetic bloodline, because she's been saved and born again, and she's been adopted and cleansed, and she's been made a woman of God. But I will say this. I do believe that she will live a long life with me if God wills and gives us grace and health. But you know what? If she goes early... As painful as that will be, I know that God's purpose is being accomplished and he will give me grace to live through that period of time. When, when I, I married my wife, Terrell, some of you who are long-termers here know, know this for sure. When I married Terrell, first of all, let me say this. When I got saved in 1980, February 21st, 1980, the Lord delivered me This is my testimony. It doesn't happen to everybody, but it happened to me. When I gave my life to Christ in in February 21st, 1980, in that day, he delivered me from my cocaine addiction. He delivered me from my alcohol use. He delivered me from all of my fears, and, and he put his spirit in me. He adopted me, and he put a call on my life, okay? But eight years later, after that wonderful experience, eight years later, I marry my wife, Terrell, and all of a sudden, I find out that I'm an emotionally sick person. And three days after I marry her, I go to a payphone for you young people. This is what you used to payphone was. 
It was a little box, and you, you, there was a phone on it, and you pull up to it, you put a quarter in it, and you would, you would make a phone call. And three days, excuse me, three days later, now, we went on our honeymoon later, later, but three days after I married her, I was so filled with anxiety and emotional sickness, I call my wife up and I say, Terrell, I have to annul this marriage. Now, most women, Christian or not, would have used a lot of choice language. My wife said this, okay, come home. We'll have dinner. I'll make you lasagna. She knows the way to an Italian's heart. <laughs> we'll make you lasagna. Come home. We'll talk about it. I had to go through intense counseling, Christian counseling. Pastor Carl counseled me. My wife, I couldn't get up to go to work at times. I was filled with anxiety and fear. She would sit on the bed. She would pray for me. She never once said to me, get up, act like a man, go to work. She just said, I love you. She prayed for me. And about a year later, I was healed of this, whatever this was, and 35 years later, we're still married. We have kids. We have grandkids. And we're serving the Lord together, changing the world for the kingdom of God. But let me tell you something. Those 12 months were, were the most horrible, some of the horrible months of my life. Moving on, I've also experienced what they call, what is called the dark night of the soul. Now, I was a pastor here years ago. I was the pastor of youth and evangelism. And one morning, Jamie, you remember the six o'clock mornings, prayer mornings. One morning, I'm at a prayer meeting here, the other, the other part of church. And all of a sudden, I feel like the spirit of God is just ripped out of my life. And I am left immediately with this feeling of evil upon me. I'm at a prayer meeting. For months, this thing never went away, and I prayed, and I cried, and I'd go out to the woods where there was a rock over here, and I would, I would pray to God, take this from me. What happened? Where are you? Am I possessed by devils? And uh, let me just tell you this real quick. You can't be possessed by a devil if you're possessed by God, but you can get into bondage with devils if you want to sin enough. That's up to you. But the thing was, I, I was suffering, and um, after I wasn't healed, I started to talk to the devil and say, listen, listen. If I got to live this way, worshiping on the pulpit, feeling fear, opening my eyes, and want to run off the pulpit, if I have to live this way, I'm going to live this way, and I'm going to serve God. But if you want to kill me, then I'll see God. Was it easy and was it pleasant? It was horrible. I can't even explain to you. Day and night, it never went away. The feeling of, of God's presence being removed and evil being present. And then lastly... Um, My, one of my daughters is bipolar, and uh, when you have to watch your little girl one minute be happy and in the next minute for no reason freak out and start screaming and yelling, then the next minute saying they're sorry and then not knowing what's going on in their life. And you pray, and you pray, and the kid suffers. Why, God? Why? <sighs> Did you ever say to God, you know, why is my life filled with uh, so much difficulties, but that person's is not? And I can almost, you know, hear Jesus saying what he said to, to Peter at the end of the book of John. He tells Peter, you're going to be bound, and this is the way you're going to die in your old age. 
And Peter looks at John, the beloved, and he says, what about that guy? And, and I'm going to paraphrase to you what Jesus said. He said, mind your own business, what I do with that guy. He says, what I do with that guy is my business. Worry about what I'm going to do with you. And, 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 and I believe that that's sometimes what we need to hear. You know, did you ever stop to think, Lord, you know, in these horrible circumstances, what are you doing in my life? You know, what, what are you trying to teach me? Uh, what do you want me to learn? See, there's a purpose and a reason for everything we go through. Every bit of suffering, even if we don't get the answer, there is a purpose and a reason. And my reasons were this, and I'm going to list them for you quickly. I learned when I was broke how to be a good steward of money. Because if you can't steward money when you're broke, don't give me this crap that you're going to steward money when you're rich. It's a discipline. It's a commitment. It's coming under the Lord and allowing him to give you wisdom to steward over the blessings of life that he gives you. Now it's all these years later. I'm debt-free. I own a home. I have a, the only thing I have is a mortgage. I am debt-free. I'm a tither plus. That's what the Lord will do when you will commit to him and allow him to give you wisdom to steward over the life that he gives you. So that's what Terrell and I learned. Steward well over the blessings of the Lord. Um, the other thing I, I learned that with Terrell because of all these debts is that we've learned you got you to try to enjoy every moment of your life. You see, because you do not know when is your last breath going to come out of your body. You don't know that. I know you've heard this in church before, but get it in your head. Think about that. My Uncle Rocky dropped dead at 49 of a heart attack. He didn't know he was, he was sick. He dropped dead. So what Terrell and I learned from the suffering and the death and, and the missing of her parents and her brother and the sickness is that we want to enjoy every day together as husband and wife as much as we can. We get up in the morning when I don't travel. We get coffee. We drive in the car. We go, go through the country and we pray and we spend time together. We spend time with the kids. We spend time with the grandkids because life is precious. And, and cut the crap out with your spouses of, of nitpicking and judging and, and arguing over crap because it isn't worth it. Life is like a mist and a vapor, and you don't know how quickly it goes. Learn to love each other. Learn to spend time together. Learn to cherish life and the life that God has given you because God is a life giver, abundant and eternal. And we learned that lesson. Sometimes maybe we don't do it too well, but we did learn that lesson. You know, uh, th through... Um, that, that, that emotional healing, I know God's a healer. I know he can heal anything. Through dealing with my daughter and the bipolar disorder, you know what? Just like Paul, he got the thorns in his side. We don't know what they actually were, but they never went away. You know what Jesus told him? My grace is sufficient for you. Terrell and I had to learn that God's grace, God's power, God's presence... God's peace was enough because we couldn't heal our daughter. My grace is sufficient for you. Through the dark night of the soul, I learned that whether we feel God's presence or not, the Bible says he never leaves us nor forsakes us, and therefore he's with us. And that's a fact because the Bible says it. Uh, so in response, back to John, so in response to John's question, Jesus are. You, the Messiah, are you truly God or not? 
And this is what Jesus said. I'm going to paraphrase. John, listen to me. Blessed is the man or woman who doesn't lose faith, who doesn't fall away from their faith in me because I'm not working out their life the way that I think they should. I'll say it again. Blessed is the man or woman who doesn't get offended with me, who doesn't fall away from me, start to hate me, start to, 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 to move away from me, start, start to leave their relationship with me. Blessed is that man or woman that doesn't get offended or, or, or fall away from me because I'm just not working out their life the way they think they should, that I should. Woo. I don't think a lot of people are going to be standing up and saying hallelujah this morning, but you're going to get truth. You're going to get truth, and if you, if you latch on to the truth, it will help you through your life. So Jesus never said to, to everybody, you know, come to me. Uh, I'll make your life enjoyable, continually pleasant. Everything will be peaceful. Jesus never said anything like that in the Scripture. If that's what you've been taught, you've been lied to, because Jesus never said that. This is what he said. He said, when you live in this world, you're going to have trouble. But fear not. For I have overcome this world. I live in you. John 16, 33. James 1, 2, 3, and 4 says, you know, consider it pure joy, my brothers, my sisters, when you experience all kinds of trials. Because at the end of your trial, I'm going to build in you a spirit of perseverance to persevere through anything in life. I'm going to build in you a spirit of true faith and belief that will carry you through in life. I'm going to develop in you my very nature and my very character. So rejoice in this suffering because at the end of your suffering, something good and wonderful is going to happen. That's what he said. He didn't say, oh, you'll never have a trial. Listen, you may have the trial of your faith. That's what Jesus gives us. Some of you may have the trial of your sin because you choose to live the way you want without God and then you blame God for the circumstances that you live in. That's your fault. And you know what? God being graceful and loving and kind and good and forgiving and merciful, if you repent and come to him, somehow, some way, he'll walk you through and work it out because he loves us that much that he doesn't want to leave us in that freaking mess that we made because of our sin. This is the word of the Lord. He says, I will, never, I will never leave you. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what's going on in your life. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's written, Hebrews 13.8, uh, 13.5. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8, and in Malachi 3.6, he says, listen, I am the Lord, and I change not. My word is eternal. Not one cross T dotted I shall ever change in my word. You can live on it, depend on it, read it, study it, meditate on it, learn it, live it. Because what I said I will do, I am God, I do not lie. It is immutable, it's unchangeable, it's without error, and it's going to be forever. Governments try to burn it, try to, try to suppress it. Devils of hell try to stop it. Nobody can. So if you, want to, if you want to stake your life on something, you stake it on Jesus Christ and you stake it on his word because in his word is, is his promises, is his nature, is his character. And the Bible says if we read the word, study the word, meditate on the word, absorb the word, then we shall grow in faith and trust in God. And when you grow in faith and trust in God, you grow in peace in any situation. Amen. It's true. 
Amen. Now, I'll tell you a story. There was a movie years ago. If you haven't seen it, it was called uh, John Q. Denzel Washington starred in it. And the writer starts the movie off with uh, Denzel and his wife and his little boy, about eight, nine years old, in the truck driving. And then the writer draws the picture that this family is very happy. They're loving their kid. They love each other. And so they're just totally in bliss, right? They get to the Little League game. The, the little boy, he hits the ball, gets to first base. And then the next guy hits the ball, excuse me, and he runs, the boy runs to second base. Before he gets there, he collapses. He needs a new heart at eight years old. Now, it cuts to this other scene where this beautiful lady in her mid-30s driving around in a beautiful sports car with the top down around a mountain range, She's just driving it. And the writer is trying to make you understand this lady's got it all together, everything to live for. She's beautiful. She's well off. She's got a great life. Now, the rest of the movie, it vacillates back and forth between Denzel Washington taking the hospital hostage because they won't give his kid a heart, and he loves his kid that much that he, he's not going to let the hospital, you know, he's going to keep it hostage till he gets the kid's heart. It goes, this lady's driving. So what happens is, towards the crescendo of the movie, what happens is the hospital decides, yes, we're going to give this kid a heart. And in that time, it flashes back to the lady driving, and she drives, and she goes around a curve on a mountain, and an 18-wheel truck just smashes her and, and instantly kills her. Now, all of a sudden, as it's coming to its end, the movie, you, you see them getting the boy prepped for a heart. They say they have a heart. The medivac picks up this box from this crash site, and what happens at the end is this little boy gets that lady's heart. He lives. She dies. This family is praising the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. They're just thanking God, rejoicing. This family we only could imagine is, why, 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 why? Why did she die so young? She had so much to live for. She was so valuable. She was just beginning her life. Why, why, why? Now, you explain to me how, how explain to me how that works out. He's, here's the problem. You and I live life moment to moment. We see life in a box. God sees our life from beginning to end. So whatever is difficult now, whatever we suffer through now, we see it, we experience it. I don't want to minimize it because I've been through it. Very difficult. But God sees what he's bringing you through to get you where he wants you to be. He sees what you're going through and allowing you to go through because he knows what, he, what you're going to be. See, now don't get confused here with theology. We don't, we, our mind is very limited People say, well, then God predestined this. and No, he didn't predestine that. It means that because he's God, he sees all of eternity at one time. And yet, he's involved in our every life, every breath of our life because he lives within us. And so he's working with us and we're making choices. And just because he sees it doesn't mean he made it happen. But because it is happening, he's involved in the middle of it because he lives inside of you. Does that make any sense? Yes. It's a lot of words. Watch the, 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 the thing over again on the thing. It's a, but I, I think it's clear enough. All right? So what, what happens is, is that people, when they get into, uh, uh, you know, difficulties, um, they quote Romans 8.28, and they misquote it. Because they say, uh, all things will work out 
for those who love the Lord thy God and are called according to his purpose, and they put a period. And they think, maybe you think, that that means that everything bad in our life, God is obligated to make it good in our life. That's out of context. You know why? Because Romans 28 goes to 29 and 30. You've got to read Scripture in its context. All things will work out for the good, for those who love the Lord thy God and are called according to their purpose. For those he, have pre, for those he, has, um, he has called, he has predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now listen, God doesn't pre, predestine people to go to heaven or hell because that would be a very unloving and unkind God. And uh, you have to, <laughs> this is a whole theology, forget that right now. What the predestination in that scripture is saying that everything that is bad in your life and difficult in your life, God is working it out in your life to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what that says. It doesn't say it's bad today, but pray hard enough, praise hard enough, and it's going to be perfect tomorrow. That's a bunch of baloney. Are you with me? Do you still like me? Oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm a people pleaser. Anyway, so, so, um, so the point being is that he promises to work out these things that are difficult for our good because he's conforming us to the image of Jesus. See, the ultimate, the ultimate will of God is not to make you happy. Whoops, there we go. 17 people just left in the back. The ultimate will of God is not to make you happy. The ultimate will of God is to conform you to the image of his son. Now, it's like the, 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 um, it's like the refiner's fire, right? In the refiner's fire, they put the fire, and it's over 700 degrees or 17, whatever it is, very hot. And the refiner guy, he'll throw the, the gold in the fire, and then all the dross, all the impurities will come up to the top, and he'll skim it off. But he keeps throwing the gold into the fire to get more impurities out. The analogy there is we are the gold. And then finally, when he's done it enough times and he takes the dross off the top and there's no more dross left, the, the refiner looks into the pot of gold and he sees his own reflection. That's what Jesus is doing with us. He's taking away the dross through the, through the pain and difficulties of our life as we walk with him because he wants our life to reflect his image. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, you, can't, you can't pray away a trial sometimes. Let me tell you something. If God gave you a trial, you can pray till you drop dead. If God gave you the trial, the trial is not going to be removed. Does that make sense to you? Because of what James told us in other parts of the Bible. I know this is not the great, you know, good-feeling sermon, but I'm telling you the truth. Anyway, there was this lady. Um, I don't think I did a good job with this, but when I came back from the mission field, I was teaching Sunday school here, and um, this lady, I knew she loved the Lord. We had a lot of conversations. She was in the class, but I knew she was also very miserable. You know, you ever look at somebody and you could tell they're miserable? It doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means they're miserable. And uh, so being the pastor, opened my mouth. And I said, ma'am, uh, may I talk to you after class? Sure. So we, we sit down and I say, 
listen, I, I know you love the Lord, and I, I, I know that, but you look very miserable. What's going on in your life? She tells me this story. She says, my son, he was a good-looking boy. Everybody's mother thinks their kid's good-looking. <laughs> my mother thought I was good-looking. But she said, he was a good-looking boy, uh, and uh, he was going to medical school, and um, he loved the Lord, and he was thinking about even medical missions. And one night, while he was driving home from school, a drunk driver hit him and killed him. He was taken. The drunk driver lived. Now I'm really stuck. What am I going to tell this lady? So what comes to my mind is Deuteronomy 29, 29. And it says that the things that are revealed by God are for us to know and for the generations that follow us to know. But the secret things belong to the Lord. I got another bunch of great news for you. God is not obligated to answer all of your questions. He's not obligated. He won't answer all of our questions. Now listen, it's not wrong to ask why. Because asking why puts you in a position to be in relationship with Jesus and to have a, uh, have a conversation. But by God's grace, he reveals to us truth. By his grace, he reveals to us who he is. By his grace, listen, watch this. This is grace. The breath you breathe is God's grace who gives life. We got it twisted somewhere. Now, I'm not belittling anyone's pain. I gave you a little capsule of what my life has been like. But I want you to know if you continue to, to be offended with God and you continue after year after year, you know, crying out to God, why, why, why? You will spend your whole life crying, why, why, why? And you may never get an answer. And I, and I think, personally, I think God would say, you need to let this go. I'm with you. I'm in you. I'm sufficient for you. I love you. I'm graceful towards you. I'm merciful towards you. I'm your provider. Let it go so you can have life. And somebody in here today who's been suffering, I'm going to tell you right now, and I, and I don't mean this in a, in a lighthearted way, and I'm not saying it because I think it's easy because I know it's not, but some of you in here today need to finally let it go and let God's grace be sufficient for you to carry you through because it may not change. doesn't mean he doesn't love you. I already told you he loves you, and he's working out his life in you. So he invites us in, in Hebrews chapter 4, in, in 2 and 4, he invites us, the high priest invites us to approach the throne of grace. Now I'm going to read verse 14 through the end of chapter 4 in Hebrews. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us or empathize with us. And to empathize and sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way. And in chapter 2, it says he has suffered in every way just as we are. Yet he was without sin and he suffered. 
Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Listen, you have to understand when we pray to Jesus, we're not praying, yeah, of course we're praying to God Almighty, but we're not praying to a God who, who is disconnected from our human experience. Because when Jesus walked the earth, according to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following, when he walked the earth, he gave up the privileges and the prerogatives of his godhood, his deity. He laid them aside because he had to live as a man and suffer as a man and die as a man so that he could pay the price to redeem our lives from the kingdom of darkness, to forgive us, to wash us, to cleanse our conscience, to cleanse our soul, to break the power of sin, to, 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 to adopt us by his spirit, make us the children of God, lord over us, and eventually bring us into eternal glory. But he was a man is my point. He lived in his humanity. He suffered like we suffered. He was tempted in every way, the Bible says, like you've been tempted. Take that in for a minute. Are you, sex are you sexually tempted? How do we know Jesus wasn't sexually tempted? Don't call me a heretic. I'm just trying to make a point because it's possible. What was he tempted with? He was tempted in every way like you and me. So when you're tempted and you go to the throne of grace and you cry out to Jesus, you're not praying to a God who doesn't understand you. He says, I understand you because I was you. I have sympathy for you, which means I, I feel badly for you. But not only that, I have empathy for you. You know what that is? I have empathy because I know what you feel because I felt it too and I can give you what you need to get through this difficulty. That's our high priest. He was rejected, he was abandoned, he was forsaken, he was betrayed, he was lied about, he was homeless, he, he gave his life up to be beaten almost to death, and then he got nailed to a tree. He didn't do nothing wrong. And then we want to complain when things don't work out for us. Come on, man. Put everything in its right perspective. But when you approach the throne of grace and you cry out to Christ, he says, I understand exactly what you feel and I will give you strength. I will give you wisdom. I will give you power. I will give you peace. I will give you what you need to make it through this life because I love you. I'm with you. I'm your priest. I'm your father. I'm your friend. I'm your savior. I'm your Lord. And I will never leave you, never forsake you, but I'm going to walk you through this life. That's the promise of God. And in conclusion, <laughs> go to Revelation chapter 21. Because that's about all the good news you get. <laughs> life is life. You know what? That's another thing. Wait, wait, no, really, it's another thing. You know what? Sometimes it's just life. Do you know we live on a sin-soaked, rebellious world? In a globe, even, the, even nature cries out, Jesus, please come back soon. The Bible tells us that. We live, I wrote it down. What did I write? I want to read it. Let's see. I wrote that we live on a sin-soaked, disease-stricken world, and sometimes it's not a trial from God or something we did wrong or anything else. It's just we live on the globe. And a lot of crap happens. Put that in your theology. Now, go, go to Revelation yeah, sometimes life happens, right? It just happens. We don't know. Revelations 21. Here's where we're all headed, folks. We're on a journey. God is conforming us. 
He's working in our lives if we've truly been born again. And if we've been truly born again, this is where we're headed. Chapter 21, verse 1. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. A sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old, old order of things has passed away. One day, one day, every tear will be wiped. But God has us here for a purpose. We long to be there, like Paul said, I long to be with the Lord, but it's good if I stay here for you. We long to be with the Lord, but it's good that everyone stays here for God's purpose. Gabish? All right. And then in conclusion, you can begin to play, it's fine. Then in conclusion, John is still speaking. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it, gives it its light, and the Lamb of God is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor all into it. And on no day will its gates ever be shut. There's not going to be any night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it, and nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb Book of Life. So this morning, before I let you go, I want you just to meditate a bit on what I said. Because I have three things to ask you as we conclude this morning. One of the things is, is there anyone here who has never given their life to Christ? Well, God, his invitation is for all people all the time. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I would offer you that opportunity today. Raise your hand. And, and don't be, don't be, shy if you don't know Christ, but I'm not talking about an emotional thing. I'm talking about if you really want Christ in your life. You want to turn your life over to Him. You want to ask Him for forgiveness. You want your, your soul to be made clean and your conscience to be made clean. And you want the Spirit of God to live in you. And you want to be adopted as a son or a daughter of God. And you want Jesus to be your Lord. Raise your hand this morning. The second thing I would say is that if you have, have a relationship with God but that you've been far away and you have an offense with him because you're just angry with him because of your life not working out the way you want it to, you can raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you. That's okay. There's nothing to be embarrassed or shy about. 
If your life is not what you thought it would be and your faith has dwindled, and you raise your hand because we're going to pray together. I see your hands up there. I see. You can put them down. The reason why I ask you to raise your hand, it's, it's not for me. It doesn't matter what I see. But when we do something physical, when we make a, a commitment to the Lord, uh, it kind of binds us to it. It's like kind of like a water baptism thing. When we get baptized, we don't get saved. But it, our, our, our proclamation becomes so strong and evident. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to open the altars. And if you need prayer for anything, you come up. It doesn't have to be what I said. It could be for anything. We're going to open the altars. The pastor's going to come up. Sal's coming up. Uh, if there's any elders here, we'll be here. You come for prayer. We'd love to pray with you. For those of you who raised your hand, I still see your hand up there. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I give my life to you. I turn my life over into your hands. I ask you to forgive me of all, all my, my sin. Wash me in the blood of your son, Jesus. Cleanse my conscience. Make it pure and clean, Lord. Make my soul clean, Lord. Come into my life by your spirit. Adopt me as your son or daughter. Break the power of sin that's over my life. I surrender to you today. I give my life back to you today. In Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for the people that are struggling this morning, Daddy. I pray for them that are having a hard time and there's difficulty in their life or their life is not working out the way they think it should have. Father, I do really pray. This is not an easy thing, but I pray for them that you would pour into their life your presence. You would bring this message back to their remembrance, Lord. And you would expand this message and let them know that you love them and you're with them. And although they only see what you're doing today, Father, you have plans and purposes beyond their imagination. You are a faithful God. Give them your grace. Give them the power of your presence. Give them the ability to let go of this thing that they've been holding on to for so long, Lord. Some things we can't do on our own, Lord, we need you. I pray for these people this morning. God, Father, give them Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give them the power and the ability to be able to let go of these things that have just plagued them for so long. And Father, in the midst of that storm and in their life, I pray that you would bring your, your presence. And the Bible says, in the fullness of your presence, there is peace. Because peace is not predicated on situation. It's predicated on you, the God of perfect peace, the God of peace, the God who is peace. I pray for them this morning, Father. Meet with them, and when they leave this place, I pray they'd be different because they came. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. The worship team is going to worship and we're going to spend a few more minutes here and we invite you all to the altar. Uh, when I was growing up here in this church, it was, we had beautiful times, didn't we? We'd go around the altar and we would, we would cry and we'd pray and we'd tarry. Well, you know, the football game's not that important and neither is lunch. Maybe you should fast. Maybe that'll help you. But saying, saying that, in all seriousness, the, the altars are open. The worship team is here. Sal, come up here so they know you're here. 
elders, any other pastors, Floyd, I'll be up here. If you need prayer, we're going to pray with you. Go ahead, guys.